At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. We get this question a lot, Danny and I, uh, on my show, in mailbags of how do we think this player would do if they had to play in a previous era, or how would a player from an old era look today? So John and I are going to talk about as a, a natural companion to what we talked about these last two episodes, talking about the greatest individual seasons uh, of all time. We were kind of thinking historically already here. So we wanted to really lay out what we think it would look like if certain players played today uh, or vice versa versa so i think the place we want to start here john is just overall what's changed since back in the day yeah and so definition wise what do we mean by back in the day um and i think really pre pre seven seconds or less right when yeah you, when you get into, I think like, that's the, a good one yeah the 80s 90s basketball where the floor wasn't open there was it was post-up basketball one a lot of one-on-one isolation basketball the three-pointer wasn't nearly as big a part of people's arsenals uh so that that's what really what made that game different i mean if you go back to those knicks teams from the 90s who were among the best teams in the league for a number of years even though they never won a title um where charles smith who would probably be a five today was their starting three yeah and and that's just and they weren't the only team that played that way i mean it was just it was just a much bigger slower more physical uh game and it was driven a lot by one-on-one matchups yeah you did and certainly even the time period we're talking about you know i I think really the the late 80s early 90s is when the league kind of came into its own team started shooting at least a few three-pointers uh it wasn't just all you know even if you were to compare say the 85 finals to the 93 finals and look at the the spacing i think it's much much different um between those two eras but really i think so kind of like 1988 to 2003-04 is kind of the range that i'm thinking of does that make sense to you yeah yeah absolutely it's yeah the, it's, a lot of changes within even that yeah. era too because the the pistons and then the early 90s knicks taught the league that actually trying to play defense might be helpful yeah to winning basketball games yeah and that was really the era where where defenses took took the upper, upper hand against offenses and then D- mike d'antoni came in and completely turned that on its head so what was so different uh, about that other than just the general outlines uh, we provided so far what did the game look like uh, back then just we can just spitball here uh, on some some of the, the differences yeah i mean you didn't really have to defend on the perimeter as much with your bigs especially 
Um, I mean, I saw this. It's funny. I saw this play out even with one of our own players, even more recently over a period of five years with with Zach Randolph, where from our first from the first season I was there until his last season with the team, the prevalence of people using stretch fours and pulling him out on the perimeter increased so much uh, that it completely changed uh, the defensive outlook for him. I mean, people were using stretch fours before then, but a lot of them weren't really like they weren't really fours, so they couldn't guard. Zach, so he would just maul them to death and then they'd be out of the game, uh, you know, by posting up at the other end. But when you had like people who were legitimately fours who were also out at the three point line and forcing him to guard in space, like that's when it changed everything. Yeah, that that shows up to me as well. And worth going back and, and looking at it here, I think it was the 0102 season was the first season that zone became legal. You used to have illegal defense rules, and to summarize what some of those were, basically if your man was standing above the three-point line you couldn't go into the paint unless you essentially sprinted towards the guy who had the ball and double teamed there was no just kind of hanging out in an area not guarding someone you had to either sprint towards the guy or you had to be quote-unquote guarding your man which meant that you couldn't go inside the paint yeah exactly exactly and the thing to do um i don't know if for aficionados of uh, 80s and 90s basketball if you were ever called for illegal defense the thing to do would be to immediately just start pointing it, it, it didn't matter if it was at the a guy you were supposedly guarding just start pointing <laughs> it was like an unwritten rule you you just had to start pointing <laughs> so that's one uh what else sticks out to you about what's changed uh less pick and roll more isolation more post up i mean teams still ran pick and roll i mean pick and roll is like the most ancient play in the game it just wasn't a staple play the way it is now and the floor wasn't spread for it well exactly yeah be much much tighter or even it, it was it was always side pick and roll actually it was almost never i thought like middle pick and roll which is really seems like more than what we see today you're right you would see a lot of side pick and roll yeah much much more uh not that not that much high pick and roll there's one guy i want to talk about who did run some of it um but so yeah diff- different that way and kind of different what they were trying to get out of it too i mean <laughs> they, they weren't really thinking about getting a three-pointer out of it there was just yeah. you know five guys crashing into the paint and <laughs> hoping some would happen right yeah and so posting up was much easier back then i think we can agree because of the illegal defense rules for example if you were fronting the post you couldn't bring a guy over from the weak side to just kind of be hanging out there to take away the lob the way you can now yeah. uh you know you still are limited by defensive three seconds but it wasn't the same and then you know once you post it up you couldn't just sort of have a guy there waiting and like all right he's gonna dance towards his man now he's gonna dance back it just you had to go hard double team and then they would just be able to swing the ball around as opposed to making the guy really you know being able to feint towards it being able to hang out compress the spacing without ever fully double teaming the guy so posting up was much easier back then absolutely uh and same somewhat similar uh to isolation as well i mean really it was tom thibodeau who changed that with bringing guys over into the strong side zone when you would see guys trying to isolate you know, most i think back to you know 2008 finals uh against kobe bryant when he was an assistant with boston as an example of that yeah and again that was something you couldn't do back uh before they changed those rules so he was he was really the one who who first 
took the most advantage of it back in the day there was a lot more interior passing i thought you know there wasn't as much this idea of like hey just get out of my way spacing wise it was more you know you'd have four guys in the paint and you would kind of drop it off to somebody else who was five feet away from you and hope that the pass didn't get intercepted <laughs> yeah there were, i mean some of the short range passing in that area was really good like yeah. you, you know you watch like the celtics especially like they throw these amazing passes that only traveled three feet in the air right um, yeah and uh so at times it could be really cool to watch if teams had multiple good passers but yeah i mean that the the correlation with today's game is a little it's a little jarring when you go back and see some of that stuff so this is something that i've said before but talking about overall zones and what changes those may not even not like okay we're gonna run a two three but just the ability to zone up more not have to guard your man mm-hmm. my observation is that on both ends it made it easier to play offensively focused players than especially in the late 90s early 2000s because number one not having to get guarded all of a sudden was a huge issue right like it yep. used to be hey you know it, you have to guard this guy or you have to go double team you know if mark eaton is standing 30 feet from the basket you still can't just not guard mark eaton yeah yeah you had to you had to pretend to guard players even if they weren't threats from where they were standing yeah which was an annoying part of that rule and then i think the flip side of that is your your worst defender was getting isolated on every play probably you know if he if he if he couldn't handle it one-on-one they were going at him every single play in a much more harsh way than anyone goes at a bad defender right now yeah, well, he wouldn't necessarily have to guard the best player on the other team either. But there, I, there, there'd be I, some cat and mouse in that. But I mean, when it was amazing when somebody off the bench who was a bad defender came in, how like regardless of who it was, they they just they just would go right at the guy, post up against him every single play. Like it was it was unbelievable how that would happen. Yeah, and that worked a little bit better in part because you couldn't bring help the way that you can now without just the straight hard yeah double had to be a total sellout on the double team yeah and so playing players who weren't as good defensively but were better offensively became better on both ends uh than compared to before the zone rules came in in the early 2000s yep and uh Um, physically i think because more of the game was played in the paint there were more post-ups kind of put a premium on strength too yeah yeah particularly in the 90s uh more way more offensive rebounding back then is an important one yeah um here's one i want to see if you agree with me on this i think that defensive players at the rim didn't understand verticality as much i think that the referees would call fouls on verticality plays with guys bodies much more often like if you go back and look at like some jordan highlights he's getting and ones on a lot of plays that i don't think would actually be called fouls at the rim today it's actually really hard to get a foul call at the rim oh, today yeah. no 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 this is that that is that is totally accurate yeah i and I remember that as you know, even when I was a teenager watching finals games in the '80s, some of the some of the and ones guys would get, it would be like the defender would be like, "What the what the hell? I didn't do anything," you know. I just yeah. But that and, that and was, bigs just weren't as disciplined about that either. You know, there there wasn't this idea of like, "Hey, just go up, contest without fouling." It was just you know, guys would go for pump fakes a lot more back then. There's just an overall less discipline among bigs. But now I would say it's much easier to get a foul on the perimeter than it used to be yeah well especially i mean hand checking they really ignored they um a lot of the better defenders would use uh what was known as the arm bar and and just put it right on your hip and just kind of guide you where you could go even though you were on the perimeter dribbling and that was legal 
yeah that said though i believe that all these these people are like oh back in my day hand checking was so ridiculous like jordan would average 50 a game now because there wasn't any hand checking i i didn't when you go at really go back and watch like can you really point out the place to me where it's like oh man jordan would have got by this guy if he hadn't gotten hand checked like i i don't didn't see that many of, of those plays i mean they definitely like uh you know 94 and then 2004 they cracked down on that contact on the perimeter a little bit more i mean but i i don't think it was that significant i think it was actually the off ball stuff which was probably there was like even more holding back then it was uh, you could really see it when guys went for post-up position uh how much how much just hold it like the, the whole thing of bumping cutters was just yeah you could do whatever you wanted but then yeah. at the end of it if you were if you were like if the guy wanted to catch the ball in the post he could shove you out of the way at the end of it <laughs> so there was just like it was it was much more open warfare uh i think in the half court there was a lot less ball movement back then absolutely yeah i mean the idea of like swinging it side to side it was like why we just are going to get into our isolation here and anything you did before then was just unnecessarily risking a turnover like we're why why am i going to run three man weave for 10 seconds and then just have three people run to the other side of the court while this guy isos that it doesn't because i mean literally like a lot of times a guy would be isoing on one side of the court and to make it difficult because of the man-to-man rules there would be three players standing right next to each other at the top of the uh uh three-point circle on the on the far side of the court yeah exactly and so there would just be okay maybe there'd be like a two-man game that's what they they would say that a lot two-man game yeah and then the other three guys just get out of the way um you know so there's not this you know the spurs really probably started that the most of moving the ball from side to side dho's like the spurs loop series that that kind of stuff that that would be things that really you know in the last probably seven or eight years really came into vogue where there's more of a flow every every time down uh was a set yeah and the other thing that enabled guys to do is play a lot more minutes because you could take breathers you know if it wasn't your play you would just hang out with the other three dudes who were standing at the top of the top of the lane and you could just kind of have that play off so uh there, there were there were a lot more opportunities to to catch your wind especially as the game slowed down i mean they the game in the 80s was at least faster and the pace really slowed down in the 90s yeah I, I noted this when we talked about the last dance danny and i last week but the game six of the 98 finals uh you know 87 86 or 88 87 i think was the final score and you're like man what a defensive struggle that game had 72 possessions in it <laughs> that is insanely low and that's that's what basketball like, reference us oh my I mean, god I, like, I mean i can only i i, I mean i watch these games and i know how at the time you know and i know how slow they were but like just to hear that number stated back to me is like oh my god no i mean that's like it's like a college game now you know yeah. it's really like that's you know and we're probably what i mean and so you look at all the numbers too and it's like hey reduce everybody everything that players have not even from an efficiency standpoint just a pace standpoint you know if we're 100 possessions today and now you know not every game was that slow obviously utah wasn't exactly the fastest the bulls were pretty slow by that point it's two veteran teams but yeah um let's see what else is there that was oh this is a big one to me okay you can carry it much more uh now certainly that's what my dad was telling me as i was like you know doing some crossover like, trying to do my Allen iverson absolutely. crossover absolutely back in the yeah late you couldn't 90s. you couldn't do you couldn't do the, part of the reason iverson was was one of the first to do that is because he was one of the first to be able to do it without 
without being called for a carry. Um, you really used to have your hand on top of the basketball. And yeah. gradually, I mean, you almost had to just like slap down yeah, on and it. And slapping like, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And gradually that changed to where you could, you know, they'd let you have it, okay, three quarter, then okay, I guess if it's on the side, it's okay. And um, so they began they began allowing it more. And what's funny, you saw it not only with Iris, actually the first guy you really saw it with, I always felt like, was Patrick Ewing on his post-ups, where he would take <laughs> the ball and pick it all the way up and turn it almost all the way over and then, uh, whoa, whoa what should I do here? Okay, I'll put it down again, you know? And uh, I guess because he wasn't handling it on the perimeter, like there was, the refs were less inclined to call it. Uh, but that was a, that was the first one that I really remember where you're watching on TV, you're just like, hey, that guy's carrying it. What the hell? Like, Yeah, Jordan with his in and out dribble too was another one mm-hmm. where he would, his hands were so big, he could almost palm it from the top of the ball. Yeah, yeah. On that move. But yeah, like if you go back and look at like Isaiah, I mean, now and if we're talking about even earlier, then it really was crazy. You couldn't do anything thing and, and same thing with like you know some of like the euro step stuff the gather step you could still especially in the early part of this period you know you got like one and a half steps instead of two and a half steps at that point like if you pick the ball up and your leg your right leg is already on the ground then as you're going in for a right hand layup off your left leg you could take one more step with your left leg and then you would lay the ball in if you took if you had your right leg on the ground you take a foot step with your left foot and then you took another step with your right foot they would call that as a travel yeah except if you were dr j on a fast break you could take seven and it didn't matter there was no (laughs) way in hell they were calling a travel yeah i remember actually earl strom had a a piece in sports illustrated talking about how if michael jordan was going in for a fast break dunk uh, and the game was a blowout he would just straight up not call a travel yeah yeah uh which you know i mean i I don't mind that but it it was it was quite the admission so all right uh, anything else that sticks out to you uh, in terms of differences I mean, obviously, there was no three-point line at all until 1979-80, so... Yeah. Um, All right, let's take a quick break here, and then we can get into uh, spitballing some players back and forth. I'm finding this to be a good time to just work on myself, and Blinkist is one of the best ways that I know of to do that. What does it take? Maybe 15 minutes to take a shower? Well, what if you could get the key takeaways from an entire book in that 15 minutes when you're not doing anything else? That's what Blinkist can give you. They've got audio blinks that are in about 15 minutes giving you the key takeaways from nonfiction books, or you can read them in the same amount of time as well. Works on your phone, your tablet, web browser. A lot of nonfiction books have things that you can really apply to your life, but it also takes hours and hours to read those books. And so how much of that are you really going to remember when you're actually trying to take things and apply it to your life? Maybe about 15 minutes worth of information, and that's the principle that Blinkist is built on. The way to get started with them is Blinkist.com slash PER. Easy to remember because John invented PER. Basically, any nonfiction book that's out there, history, biography, management and leadership, career advice, take a look through their catalog at that Blinkist.com slash PER link, and you're going to find something that sounds really interesting to read. Recent editions include The Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson. They've got biographies on there as well of Tiger Woods, and we've got Michelle Obama's book, Becoming 
the four hour work week by tim ferris one of my personal favorites a formative book for me was emotional intelligence by daniel goldman that's in there too just go to that link and scroll through and i think you're going to find something that you are really interested to get the takeaways for and you can do it in only 15 minutes so that blinkist.com slash pr link you can start a free seven day trial again like i said there's no reason not to at least do this and check it out and then you can save 25 percent off your new subscription as well once again that's blinkist like blinking your eyes b-l-i-n-k-i-s-t blinkist.com slash p-e-r to start your free seven day trial don't forget that slash p-e-r to let them know that you came from us david harrison here the locked on washington football team podcast celebrating with you a 21 grain salute to a less boring sandwich thanks to dave's killer bread i don't know about you guys but when i eat pizza i eat it for the toppings not the crust and when i eat a sandwich it's for what's inside the bread not for the bread but when i throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds thin sliced bread from dave's killer bread it is the epitome of addition by subtraction that thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste killer texture killer nutrition a subtle sweetness and a seed coated crust dave's killer bread is america's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store so i think the other thing that is fair to do here is assume that the if we're taking players today and moving them back to previous times or vice versa that we're going to assume that they are being coached to play in a style that's more similar to the way players played at that time yeah clearly so steph curry is not going to be bombing 10 threes a game for example if he goes back if he goes back to 1975 he's not <laughs> he seems like more of an ABA. No, even the even in the 80s 90s yeah 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 um and similarly you know if you have like a reggie miller for example he's probably going to take a lot more threes he's gonna they'll run his curl stuff out more towards the three-point line etc yeah. um that, I, I, that's kind of how i'm thinking is your your their style of play isn't just getting transported just exactly the same as it was or is now yeah exactly they would they would we would transport them into to their era and they would become uh, in, into a new era and they would become players of that era and make this similar similar adjustments right agreed um all right you want to start us off here yeah so first name i thought of when i thought of a player who might be much better in today's era than he was at the time uh was mark price because he was a small guard. He was an awesome shooter. He was great in pick and roll. He was really the guy who brought back splitting the pick and roll um, and uh, ran it uh, more frequently with Cleveland than than a lot of teams did run it. Uh, made four all-star teams in his era, but I think he could have been, I, I don't know if he would have been Nash in, in the more modern era, but I think he could have he could have been almost on that, on that level because he was so good running pick and roll he was pretty explosive especially before he hurt his knee he was really explosive um and good good passer i mean he wasn't nash like as a passer but good passer awesome shooter uh 
I, I, I just think he could have been, in, in this era, he just would have been such a handful. Yeah, he got up to the most he ever shot uh, during uh, the time when he was good in Cleveland was 5.13s uh, per game and, uh, you know, playing 37 minutes a game. That was in 89-90 when a lot of the other team uh, was injured. Uh, that, that was a bad year for the Cavs. Uh, yeah. So he had to take on a, a much larger load. But career 40% from three. He was one of the very few guys who actually would pull up from three out of, off the pick and roll off the dribble like basically nobody was doing that at that time and, and he was one of the few guys and and uh i think defensively he wouldn't have been targeted as much uh, today yeah yeah absolutely uh um or, or at least he could have been protected more yeah perhaps put it third all time in a free throw percentage yeah he was a great free throw shooter got up to actually around uh, 10 assists uh in uh or, or nine assists was the most he ever had uh, yeah the year he wrecked season. his knee was at 10 but he only played 16 games yeah yeah that's good and he was on my list uh, as well another one that i've got rasheed wallace he would be a center today as a five okay yeah yeah i mean he almost had become a five by the end of his career Mm -hmm. and he also was shooting the three more by the end of his career but really solid defensive player had good length pretty decent quickness as well he was guarding the four a lot but also could really guard in the post like he probably guarded tim duncan better than anyone yeah in in that oh five finals it really caused some problems for him and but his three-point shooting ability would have been a lot better he he could have played out a pick and pop more uh and then also could have posted up some against smaller plays he still would have had enough versatility to score that way as well the big knock on him always was that he wasn't aggressive enough offensively they really wanted to go to him in the post and have him dominate and he just he didn't do that as much especially important that's what people always complain about with him but in today's era when you're not trying to post up as much he his other skills playing off the ball offensively and then his defensive versatility would be a, a lot more lauded i think and people wouldn't care as much because bigs aren't expected to carry the offense in the post now the way they were back then yeah i mean so he would still frustrate you by turning down shots if he played today but he'd i think he'd provide enough value with all the other things he did in the modern game uh that that it would offset that even more than it did when he was when he was playing and you saw because he was in his 30s by the time he got to detroit but that was really when he was at his most valuable in his career because the game was already starting to tilt that way and when he was in his 20s in portland he's playing as a full-time four and posting up mostly and he was a really good post-up scorer he would just turn down he would just flat out just turn down shots just not want to they'd run a play for him and then he'd just like pass it out to damon stoudemire even though he was he was one-on-one with like you know ryan bowen on him or something uh so i i lived in portland at the time so i i i'm very keen on that whole uh era i guess and and the frustrations of it but the the ability he showed that that's that's a good one because you're right he could he could play five uh he wasn't a great rebounder that would probably be the only detriment to him playing five but defensively he was so solid so smart on that end and then to have to have him up top um as as a pick and pop threat but knowing you like you could he could make you pay if you switched um and he felt like shooting that he would really make you pay so that i think there's a real that the threat of him in today's game i think you're absolutely right is much more than the threat of him in 2002 or whatever yeah and the fact that he wasn't as good of a rebounder doesn't matter as much today with the offensive glass being uh being de-emphasized ignored yeah all right who's your next one 
My next one uh, did not get to play with the benefit of the three-point line until he was 31 years old. He made one all-star team anyway and was a starter on the team that won a championship. And that is Fred Downtown Brown from the Seattle Sonics. Uh, who managed to have a 13-year career. The first year they put in the three-point line, he shot 44%. Uh, not on huge volume, because nobody had huge volume then. But uh, even in, you know, they put in put in at the tail end of his career, he took 295 attempts and made 37% in the last five years of his career. 85% career foul shooter. Like I said, he still made the all-star team in 76. Like, he was a good player, even just shooting long twos. But I think it would have completely changed his position in the hierarchy if the three-point line existed when he had played uh as you can probably tell from his nickname he had deep range i don't think the the adjustment to the three-point line would have been any adjustment at all for him and i think he would have ended up with a much more prominent career uh, than the one he had yeah i mean i know very very little about him but he really you know wasn't a guy who got to the foul line that much and so it was just too difficult to be that efficient if you didn't get to the foul line or you didn't score right at the basket back then so yeah if he could have shot three pointers you know he was kind of right around the league average and true shooting for most of his career that would have changed a lot so yeah it definitely fits the statistical profile yeah and you know it's it's unfortunate because he's kind of been for you know other than being a part of that championship team in seattle he's kind of been forgotten to the winds of time a, a the sonics aren't there anymore b the that whole 70s era of basketball gets forgotten a little bit and rightfully c, so see well in some respects <laughs> rightfully so and but but and the other thing is it, they were that line wasn't there to showcase his most prominent skill uh, i think a lot of the guys who played in that era may not even have the best memory of, of what it was like <laughs> uh yeah that's a good you you stumped me on that one i really had like barely even heard of him i i can't say that i have any recollection of what his uh, game was i'm um, sure i hope kevin pelton is listening to this and and is weeping in, in happiness that that his guy got record all right so this player is an unbelievable player hall of famer probably one of the 20 best players ever and i still think he would be better today kevin garnett Ooh, he'd be a center yeah he'd shoot threes yeah he'd he'd be the best defensive player in the league he'd be able to switch on to anybody he'd be probably if not Jokic like as a passer like pretty close i mean he'd be one of the best passing centers ever he would you know, run, running all the dho game he yeah. could do that and then step back for a three as well he could still post up against smaller players he'd be awesome on the fast break he'd you know he'd run your center off the floor if he was a more traditional guy everything would run through him it, he i think he would be even better today wow that's a good one yeah i'm just trying to process i mean he was pretty damn good as it was so yeah I'm just i'm uh he he never shot great from distance but it was never an important part of his game yeah. either he was I, an awesome long two shooter yeah yeah and and, could, and, and like bond Temps tells me stories of how when he was covering the nets even in like 13 and 14 that like he would shoot all these threes in warm-ups and and make all of them and then just because he had decided that like only wusses shoot threes or something which is actually that's like it's amazing how many people actually thought that that that, that was was yeah there was definitely a mentality about that in in that era and really i mean (laughs) up until the recent era i mean up and up until you know the 2010s um yeah i mean he could have been in his early years he could have been more of a grab and go guy as well i I mean now the the interesting part of this though and this would come up with like someone like reggie miller too 
is uh, or ray allen yeah he himself might be better but also there are maybe more athleticism and more players like him so is his relative to the league would his advantage not be as good are you know are we considering that kabar are we just saying hey this guy you know his game would fit even better today that's that's a tough question yeah it is because i mean i i guess i asked myself that a little when i was looking at uh when i was looking at reggie and alan houston uh and it, it's a tough question to answer yeah i, I mean if, he, if I reggie I I, i'm not sure i yeah. totally know or or I, I mean we're talking hypotheticals so i guess yeah. i don't have to know but i i guess i don't feel good about my answer there's <laughs> a better way to put it well well i guess maybe here's a way to look at it for like reggie right i mean steph curry is unbelievable today mm-hmm. i think he would be worse without being able to take as many threes as he does now clearly he so, would be the he would be the player he was in like 2012 right before yeah. before they really realized how how much they could weaponize that yeah so i i think guys like reggie would be better and i mean kg is taking all these long twos and you know that's nice but if you make that a three and and you're shooting you know, high 30s it becomes so much of a bigger deal i mean he's taking these long twos but like is anyone really just like oh man we gotta stop him from taking this long two on the pick and pop even back then no it was it was weird he took a lot of long twos that were like they were like off kind of like ice half iso half post-ups yeah and those would probably still be the shots he'd be taking to today um you know if it wasn't off a straight pick and pop he'd probably be because inevitably your best player is going to end up taking a bunch of bunch of non-rim twos yeah um so i don't know i, I don't know the answer to that question but it's interesting to think about i generally think that it would it, you know if you're thinking th- that's a good question right like if you let's say you took kg from 2004 he shoots threes now you were using him the way we're talking about i think he's better than like anthony davis like easily i don't think it, it would even be close actually yeah i think you might be right now is he better than Giannis I mean he won the t- MVP in 2004 uh yeah and Giannis you, you talked about it he was having a his- historically great regular I mean the one thing about KG is he was never quite just a dominant individual scorer and I don't know that he would be today either but he'd still you know he'd probably be averaging like 25 a game his triple crown stats would probably be awesome you're right about that yeah and his and I think he'd be do you agree with me that he would be close to the best defensive I think I think he would be the best defensive player in the league yeah i think that's fair um so yeah i mean he would be a top five player i mean now he was a top five player back then too who's uh who's next on your list uh gonna go with another small guard from the 80s uh isaiah thomas oh yeah uh, yeah this is a good just one the the quickness the shooting ability i think one-on-one people wouldn't been able to handle him i think against a switch any big would just be dead meat uh he had a uh you know a kyrie irving level handle i would say yeah uh, and he could do he could be much more creative now he, he was definitely he probably had the best handle of anyone in the 80s easily yeah yeah and uh he um you know he had that he had that toughness to him too where he could go to the go to the rim and take a hit um like i said he would you know he shot 29 percent career on threes it wasn't a thing that was important to him i think a lot of his career threes were late clock chucks actually um yeah but i mean you watched him he i mean he could shoot <laughs> you know like there's there's no question yeah. he could he, shoot he had a really nice form yeah so uh, yeah i i think it, as good as he was in his time um which you know, unfortunately, was cut a little short at the end by the in- by the injury. But I mean, he made he made the All Star team every year till his last season. Yeah. But even so, I think he'd be on another level of star in today's game. 
Well, and I think it's important to remember, though, that a lot of people probably think of Isaiah Thomas as, you know, just this inner circle Hall of Famer. And he did make all those all-star teams, but there wasn't exactly a lot of competition in the East at guard at that point. It was just him and Michael every year. You know, maybe you had like Sidney Moncrief or like Alvin Robertson in some of those years. There there weren't, or or Price. Um, But Isaiah, I mean, if you really go back and look at like what people thought at the time, I don't think he was ever considered a top five player in the NBA, even when he was winning those championships in Detroit those were more based on depth and now he kind of yeah. gets the like he was the best player on those teams therefore he gets credit for you know being kind of in the same level but it was re- that was really more of a group effort and particularly a defensive effort on those teams yeah exactly exactly but he would get to the line a lot more because he would get all these like bullshit touch fouls on the perimeter now yeah for sure and and, and defensively like he was qu- he was small but he was quick like he'd fit better in today's game at that end too so I think he'd yeah. be he'd be he'd be much closer to like an inner circle you know first team all nba type of guy in today's game yeah i i'm not sure whether he could be that efficient i mean that was the big knock on him uh, that he uh, but he could get to the following a lot more i mean his career high in true shooting was 56 percent in 85 86 yeah and he's even around you know 89 90 50 percent true shooting i mean that's just not uh, you know he's winning finals mvp that year age 28 should be right in his prime but that's i mean now on that detroit team they didn't have a ton of offense he was asked to do a lot as well but he also never had the usage quite the way that like today's really ball dominant stars do but i think he could benefit from uh, i think he could be you know the heliocentric type of star you know he's, he's around 24 25 usage most of his career um yeah it's weird like his yeah. his career is like simultaneously overrated and underrated <laughs> right he it's almost like if he played in today's game he'd be properly rated right <laughs> What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new SiriusXM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. So I've got a whole group, actually. I mean, that that archetype of player, just mm-hmm. the quick, small guard, yeah, shows I mean, up I, to me. I thought well. about Kevin Johnson, too, but he didn't have yep. the shooting that these that Thomas and Price did. So I kind of held back from, from taking him. Yeah, I had him on there. I think he was even more more athletic finishing at the rim than those guys were. Oh, and- hell yeah. He was crazy. I mean, I you know, the the one thing that I think le- left uh, is still out there on YouTube or whatever is him dunking over Olajuwon in the... Uh, I think it was the seventh game of the game they lost um, in the in yeah. the West semifinals when Houston won the championship. Uh, but he, I mean, that wasn't the only time he got a he got a good center. Uh, he he was so explosive. Probably the best first step of anyone who played in that uh, decade, or maybe decades on either side. I mean, sheesh, he was so quick off his first step. It was just so tough to contain him off the dribble. I mean, he wasn't much of a shooter, but he, you know, it's not like he was. I don't know. He wasn't atrocious. He would have made three in today's era. 
So hopefully he could have stayed a little healthier. In well, that's I mean that's the other thing. I mean the the injury rate has actually gone up in the league because the game in some ways has become more demanding uh, because you you don't get these rest periods that we talked about earlier. Uh, and there's a lot more side to side movement and whatnot. So you wonder if he would have been just as prone to the injuries if he played in this current era. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and you don't know what the effect is of all these guys having played AAU now as well. It just played a billion games. You didn't have to do that back then. Um, he he was on my list though because I think he was just so fast. And yeah, his shooting wasn't as good, but it, that guy got. Although you know what, he got to the foul line so much already. I mean, some of these free throw rates were insane. Generally, free throw rates were much higher. Like we, as much as people complain about fouls, like free throw rates are basically at an all time low these days. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, some of his efficiency numbers for a small guard like that were unbelievable. Um, another a couple other ones I would have in there. Uh, Pre injury, Tim Hardaway, another guy who would just be you know ball handling wizard yep, today yep yep good ball handler shot a knuckleball but actually w- was accurate enough with it that it worked and this is uh an old one but this guy was good terrell brandon yeah you see terrell brandon to me wasn't like a guy who was like blowing by people off the dribble though he was, he was a really good shooter though wasn't he, was he? A good he was a good shooter yeah that's yeah. what i'm thinking i'm thinking he's pulling up for threes off the pick and roll yeah yeah i could uh, yeah i guess i could see that i don't know i just uh. i mean i'm, I'm not saying he'd be like you know a top 15 player in the nba right now but i think yeah he, he would be a little bit better today than he was then because he'd just be bombing a lot more threes yeah that's that's a good point that's a good point because he was i mean he did he took a lot of pull-up jumpers then and and i'm presuming they would be threes now uh this is one actually uh following in the small guard that was brought up to me i want to see what you think about it though uh mahmoud abdul raouf Ooh, I'm not sure he never got to the line but he would bomb it from the outside a lot would get hot but still wasn't taking that many threes. Yeah, and I do think he could, I mean, based on his free throw, I mean, it wasn't for a lack of shooting ability, right? It was only 35% career from three, which is a little surprising. Shot 90.5 career, which if he had had enough attempts, I believe would have him second all time behind Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean, he had he had some injury issues as well. He was done by age 31. He, he, he played for the Grizzlies, have... Nate. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, the Vancouver Grizzlies. Wow. The one thing I will say, though, like his shot, form if you look at his numbers shot 39 percent the three years that the line was in and those were his three prime years but yeah. he never shot it nearly that well when the line was further and if you look at like he kind of leaned forward on his shot a little bit i think actually maybe the longer nba three-point line like wasn't as conducive like because that was the th- 95 through 97 was the years of the that the line was yeah. in so maybe maybe i'll take that back yeah um, that, that was suggested to me uh by someone who works in the league when i was talking about this uh, with them okay. but i'm the more i think about it maybe now okay okay all right g- give me a few more i've, I've been uh, i've been rambling on jerry west huh well let me ask you this i mean it, it was such a a you know water i mean i shouldn't say watered down but just there weren't as many good players back then i mean he was probably you know top three top four player in the league every year he's not a top four player right now right yeah probably like i thought of him too because he was a shooter and you think okay yeah he'll probably come out there he's, he's bombing some threes he was a shooter like he, with some playmaking and he was also a really good defender so i just thought he'd be he'd, he'd be seen as either the you know as an elite wing in the league um, it's only six two though yeah he did he have was, really long arms i mean but. he was top five mvp voting eight times so it's <laughs> i guess in his in his own era he did all right <laughs> 
Huh. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it, but like I understand where you're coming from because it's tough to say. It's like okay, you know, the game would be easier for him. He, he would be a lot more efficient. Uh, that, but would at that point, I think the quality of the league was, is so much lower. And he like he had a big athleticism advantage back then over most players. Like he was well yeah. known at having like these long arms and be, being really good defensively. Also, just couldn't go left to save his life either. That mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that they would have fixed that in today's game, but um, he didn't really need to go left. <laughs> in uh, yeah, back done yeah uh the the other uh uh guy from way back that i had was uh rick barry that's an interesting one he was one of the better passers yeah of his era i think that's a big part of it like some of the guys that i thought like hey they wouldn't be as good today are the guys who scored a lot but just like didn't have the passing vision to really like we're gonna run everything through him and he can also set guys up mm-hmm. and barry could probably do that yeah yeah uh-huh. did, did he have any moves though like when you watch the film of him he just sort of like he just sort of dribbles around 15 feet away from the basket on an angle and then he just like pulls up over the guy yeah there was a lot of that yeah but that's like all you could do as a perimeter player back then like you couldn't actually like make any move yeah Uh, i mean you were just you were limited what you could do by the spacing and by the by the rules on dribbling um i mean you could definitely move uh so you know presumably if you got him in situations within where there was actual space he'd be able to take advantage of that and just never i mean there was no three-point line except for the years he played in the aba and even then it was it was the early years they hadn't really figured out how to weaponize it his final year in the nba he finally had a three-point line um and he uh he made more than one a game although he only shot 33 percent. but he was 35 years old by then yeah and rick did not shoot it incredibly well in his aba days but the most he ever shot was three a game yeah back then yeah and uh, you know he was a great free throw shooter too of course awesome uh, free throw shooter and had i mean he had deep deep range um as as far as the nba game goes he just you know there wasn't a three-point rule also really would have benefited from uh superior modern techniques and hair restoration oh, why'd you why'd you have to go he, there he, he wouldn't he wouldn't have had to wear like a ridiculous wig like on the floor <laughs> I think that alone maybe means that it, that he would have been better. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, that you know. So in in some ways, maybe it's not terrible that a lot of this uh, film from the seventies has been lost. <laughs> um, let me see. I, I had a couple others that really stuck out to me. How about this one? Okay, Drazen Petrovic. Oh wow! Drazen. Yeah, yeah, because he he was really he was really a pull up guy uh, with the Nets, and yeah, I mean he could he could definitely he could definitely shoot. He was a really really good mid range shooter didn't take a lot of threes but yeah i mean you go back and look though he shot 43.7 from three for his career yeah so i I guess he could have stretched out um yeah that's a good one yeah i mean obviously petrovich of course was for those who don't know was tragically killed in a car accident at the age of 28 uh in 1993 um but uh, he, you know, and the other thing with Petrovic, obviously, is that he didn't really get a chance to play minutes until he was 27 years old, just because he, you know, come over from Europe and it wasn't an easy process back then. So even if you somehow assume that he still would have been, still would have died at 28, he could have had eight or nine years in the league. And you're right, he would have been a, a weapon because he could, he was athletic enough to do things off the dribble. Even though he wasn't an awesome athlete, he was like good enough combined with the threat of his shot that he could score. 
score. And that when you add the three point weapon in, yeah, I think I think you're looking at an all star guard, a, a perennial all star guard. Yeah. Now the the knock on him, he I mean he's shooting fifty three percent from two as like a guard from outside. I mean that that's pretty impressive. Uh, but he also didn't do anything other than score. Like he he was never rebounded, passing, not really that well known. I don't know what he whether he really could have been like a pick and roll player. Maybe he would have been more kind of like a JJ Redick type, but like with a little bit more scoring versatility. Yeah, I I still think he could have been a. Yeah, he's he would, more he would have been, he would have been like a pick and roll guy who shot eighty five percent of the time <laughs> that he ran, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, any others that you had? A uh, couple of guys I wrote down. Uh, Calvin Murphy, five yeah, he's foot like nine, a er- early eighties, really good shooter, small guard. Yeah, yeah, uh, had incredible range. Um, again, the the taking advantage of the three point line just wasn't a wasn't really a thing back then. Um, wasn't introduced till he was thirty one years old. Uh, so that one's probably a little more speculative. Um, what about Jack Sigma? Based on his his ability to stretch out to the stretch out to the three point line. So it's interesting that you bring him up. I brought up. Uh, I I thought of Bill Lane Beer as well, and I think if we were talking about 2014, absolutely. But I think those guys just might be too slow in pick and roll defense. I think they just like they couldn't protect the rim the way you and weren't athletic enough. In garden space. Yeah. 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 And, and so I think they, you know, maybe they would be kind of, you know, Nikola Vucevic type of guys today. Mm-hmm. But I think they're they were better than that back in their time. So, um, you know, Lambeer, those guys are like big offensive rebounders too. At least, at least Lambeer. I can't remember whether Sigma was good offensive or not. But um, depends on what point in his career you're talking about. Yeah, and Sigma relied a lot on posting up as well. Um, so yeah, I, I I thought of them because of the shooting and like yeah, they take threes. But I think just it's so hard in today's game if your center is not really good defensively that i'm not sure the stretch aspect would make up for it how about pete maravin okay i thought of him and i just i just wasn't i mean so much of it was just driven by him as a one-on-one scorer i I just you know would it be that different i mean i guess maybe his maybe the scoring part would just be so lethal in a guard dominant game that that would make him more valuable he had pretty deep range right yeah yeah but like like it, it Yes, he did, but it, like that wasn't. You, you you probably remember him better than I do. Yeah, it's just just a very he was washed by the time I really remember him. Yeah, yeah, God, he was never even remotely efficient. Never got to the foul line even back then. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, the the thought, and he actually didn't have. It wasn't that good of a passer either. I mean, he had flashy passes. Yeah, yeah, but he was a scorer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so maybe he's kind of would be more like a Jason Williams type than. So I don't know. I mean, he, he had so much license to bomb away in college and early in his career so maybe that's not a, as good a one um because he, he you know he wasn't like unbelievable getting the basket he, he would definitely be a big uh youtube station though yeah yeah he'd be the uh <laughs> like uh i i i shouldn't i shouldn't stain his memory with by mentioning this name i, I was gonna mention uh, like like jimmer in china um kind of stuff but i think he'd be significantly better than that sir all right so is that about it then for our players from yesteryear that we think would fit better in today's game yeah i mean that's certainly the list i mean you can scrounge deeper and come up with other guys i'm sure but i think those those are the most prominent guys the guys who would be at the most advantage uh going from yesterday to today so what types of players from today just as a general principle you think would be better in the old game dinosaur fives uh physical players uh even on the perimeter 
uh one-on-one players guys for whom three-point shooting has just been a struggle to expand their range uh yes certainly okay so give it given those criteria who comes to mind for you number one guy for me Boban Marjanovic. Ha! Huh. <laughs> he has yeah, one of the highest that's a really good one. player efficiency ratings in NBA history, but he can't stay on the court because defensively they just pull him away from the basket uh, in the modern game. But I think if he played in the 80s and 90s, he'd be able to defend a behemoth on the other team and he could just stay near the rim. Uh, and it would be a lot less of a problem for him. He'd still get exposed in, you know, even one-on-one in quickness battles, but the threat of him at the other end would be strong enough that to overcome that, and he'd be able to play 30 minutes a game and be a starting five. Yeah, he would be awesome in the offensive glass, posting up. He'd be, I mean, he's not really like a great pick-and-roll offensive player, so that he wouldn't miss out on that part of his game. Doesn't really shoot threes. Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I That didn't come to mind for me, and certainly any of these centers that we'll talk about. But yeah, that's one where he would totally be like a quality player. He could post up every once in a while, just kill you on the glass, and then just mark eating it around the rim. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think he's. it's, it's really unfortunate because he's... He's in the he's in the wrong era, and he could be he could have a. Some guys just say, "Oh, he's in the wrong era," and you mean, well, he'd be you know a rotation player instead of the fifth big. But I think in Boban's case, there's a pretty huge gap between his value in today's game and his value in say 1995. That is a really good one. Here, my first one is Demar Derozan. Oh, how did I not think of him? Yeah, of course. I mean, he's a <laughs> one-on-one player who takes all kinds of contested twos and mid-range twos and those shots are completely devalued in in today's game but in the in a Knicks Bulls series DeMar DeRozan is a very valuable player yeah and I think that for him too a lot of these guys that I think of who are just sort of iso floor raiser types but don't you know, guys who can raise up your offense but aren't going to push you to the highest levels today just because the highest offenses are so good today but yeah. if you could look at it as a guy okay his efficiency doesn't drop off that much much then i think that you could say well hey if everybody is less efficient then he looks better by comparison yeah absolutely yeah yeah i i'm i'm slapping myself in the forehead that's a that's a great one. yeah I, I think he'd be he'd be a much better player he'd be seen much differently yeah uh, and he also you didn't need necessarily and the fact that he doesn't get guarded when he doesn't have the ball wouldn't be as much of an issue because you'd still have to pay attention you'd to still him. have to pretend you're guarding him yeah exactly yeah. exactly but he also and there aren't as many of these like big wings that he would struggle to guard on the other end either i don't think you know there's not Kawhis and as many Giannis's and those types of players i mean there's some but there's not that many um yeah a, li- a little more capability to dictate the matchups in that era too um in, ter- in terms of who he'd be guarding who else you got uh so i don't want to just go all with beast ball five so I'll, I'll throw a curve in here um an- another guy who doesn't shoot threes ben simmons hmm i think i mean you you could argue not even getting him out of the current era, just getting him off the Sixers, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but just, I I just feel like, you know, the way the Lakers used Magic Johnson, where he would dribble the ball down the court, and he would just back his guy down into a post-up and then just play make from there. I think he 
think you could do that with Ben Simmons in in that kind of era as well. And he could, you know, obviously he's multi-positional defender, uh, freak in transition, and uh, the the lack of three-point shooting, again, just isn't hurting you. He just, you'd put him in the dunker spot or somewhere else and and he'd be he'd be fine he wouldn't hurt your spacing i mean everyone else was doing the same thing so i i just think it would be it would be a different game for him in that era and maybe even maybe even on a different team it's a different game for him but i think certainly if he's able to go back in time it's it's a it's a better game for him there's probably a little less transition which might hurt him a little but i think i think otherwise he'd be in a better spot so i'm of two minds on this i think the transition lack of transition would really hurt you mentioned magic i don't think that ben simmons ability to score on the ball in the half court would really be much better uh because they're just everything is around the ribbon while simmons is a good passer he is one of the best in the league at setting up three pointers for others so he doesn't have that to do anymore Mm -hmm. and you met magic he had like a really good hook shot game with either hand where he could actually score when he wasn't right at the rim and simmons can't really do that yeah um taking more free throws isn't going to help him too much either so i i'm not sure about that i i see your point but i also think that simmons is most optimized where he's kind of in the Giannis role on a good team now mm-hmm. and you spread the court around him and he can just uh, attack use his size mismatch I'm not sure that he would be his inability to score at all from the mid-range I think would be a problem for him so I, I didn't I didn't think of him as much but I, I see where you're coming from but I I ultimately wasn't really sure about him okay okay maybe, maybe we just need to trade him rather than put him in a time machine because <laughs> there is an argument that he could be unbelievable he could be like a Giannis light if you just traded into another team right now yeah but another one that I thought of is any stretch four but who's still more of a traditional four the one that came to mind for me was Lowry Markinen, where now he's a defensive liability at the four and everyone at the four can shoot threes but mm-hmm. if you brought him back to like 2000 mm-hmm. then all of a sudden he could be de- protected a little bit more defensively because he doesn't have to play in space as much mm-hmm. although him trying to guard you know Chris Webber or Rashid Wallace in the post might not have gone that well either okay. but uh but he like his offense would be more I mean, he was never going to be a good defensive player no matter what era he's in. But his offense to me would have been more special then than it is now when pretty much any four can shoot three. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely a way the game has changed. And he was a guy he, he was a guy who could always shoot for his size. So even even back in the day, he probably would have been shooting some threes, um, maybe like a Sam Perkins or something. Um, that's an interesting one. Could, I mean, he in any era, he has to make more of the threes, right? Yeah. Oh, 35% from three. I mean, I guess then. if you're a big back then, it was like, he's 35%. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and also 35% on threes in the half court when everyone's half court offensive efficiency is terrible. Yeah, it looks exactly. like it's a, it's a much better shot than it is now. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not liking him trying to guard in the post against someone like the good power forwards on the other team, but presumably there'd be a center on your two good guards guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the whole, that, that was how people lined up. I mean that was he was like there your four look like look like Laurie Markinen basically except yeah. he wasn't a three point shooter it was you know Rafe LaFrance or somebody who else you got uh Ennis Cantor uh yeah would wouldn't be a rim protector but I mean his rebounding his offensive rebounding especially and he's another guy who's a really good low post player um who that kind of gets gets lost now the one thing with him I do think teams would double his post ups and he's not a good passer and could be turned 
turnover prone. I think nowadays people are more content to just let him do what he wants. So, so there's that aspect to it. But the the physicality, the rebounding, the the low post play, the fewer transitions, uh, not being dragged from the hoop as much. I think all of that really tilts things in in his favor. And that I mean that was the stuff that made him a top five pick originally. Right. Yeah. Not having to guard in space and pick and roll. There's a lot of guys like that. I think the big three centers right now, Jokic, Towns, and Embiid. I think all of those guys would be even better back in the day. Yeah. I, th- I you know I I thought of all of them, but especially Jokic uh, because if he was able to score decently from the post and was able to draw double teams with his passing ability and what the double team rules were, man, he would have been able to just carve people up. Yeah. Now maybe the one thing you could say is they're not going to run all this stuff through you in the DHO game. You know, if he was on like those Rick Alman Sacramento teams, maybe he's unbelievable in there. The, in the Vlade not. role. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Towns in particular, you know, when he's actually there right at the basket, he he has some tools. He can affect shots, but he's another one of these guys just out in space. He's just not effective defensively. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, he wouldn't be shooting eight threes a game the way he is now, but he'd shoot some, you know, he could be like a kind of a Sam Perkins and then his post-up game would be unstoppable. Yeah. 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 All right. You got another one for me or is it my turn? It is your turn. It is my turn. All right. I'm going to go to the wing here. Um, Jimmy Butler hmm. just just feels he he's a 1995 Nick through and through. <laughs> well, except he can score. Actually, except, so. except he can score. Likes, you know, likes to dribble the ball, go one on one, physically strut like all the f- stuff they did with physicality in that era wouldn't wouldn't bother him at all. Um, high free throw rate, uh, a lot of stuff going to the basket. Not really a three point guy. Like he's okay, but it's not really a big part of his game. Um, no. And as good as he is defensively now, I think he'd be even better back then where he could, you know, where he could lean on guys even more. So I I think he'd be, you know, he'd probably be the second best uh, two in the league after Jordan if he played back then, right? Yeah, yeah, if he was playing the two. And there weren't as many really good small forwards and wings back then either. So yeah. I think he, he would, I mean, the, the one problem he has defensively is he just doesn't quite have the size against some guys, but, but he would back in that era. Yeah. Similar vein to him, uh-huh. Brandon Ingram. Ooh. Likes to likes to get into the mid range, uh, shoot over guys. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, he did improve his three point shooting this year, but yeah. he really likes to cook in the mid range. And uh, his limitations as a help defender wouldn't be as much of an issue. It was more one on one. He's better one on one defensively. Yeah, and he'd be he'd be a full time three, I presume. Nobody nobody in that era would consider playing him at the four. It'd be like a three two almost. Um, you know, guys would be able to get their forearms into him more. And, and affect his, his balance on his shot but he'd be able to get the shot up over people and it's it was more one-on-one driven so yeah i definitely could see it as long as as long as the accuracy from this year held up i could buy that you got any more i got uh one other perimeter guy that i thought of um again does a lot of stuff with strength takes a lot of twos a lot of one-on-one Kawhi leonard yeah yeah it's that's interesting that you said him because i thought of kevin durant as well just th- these guys who can take threes but aren't as reliable lying on it and could get to whatever shot they want in the mid-range in an iso i mean K- kd in oklahoma city he basically was playing basketball from 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> And he was still really good. Yeah. <laughs> it was I mean, almost as if they had they had retroactively painted the three point line in after the game and and allotted points based on where the shot came from, right? 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all the, these mid-range assassin types. I mean, it, but it, those guys are obviously the best already today. But yeah, I could see them being even better back then. That that definitely makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, Ka- Kawhi, even now, you just see, like the sheer physicality of how guys bounce off him. I just, I just think like he could play the exact same game in in a game 15 years ago, and he'd just be like, "What? What? Hand check? There was hand checking? Like I didn't feel anything." Yeah. No. He uh, <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't feel much. That guy is just a absolute hang and then defensively obviously he'd be even more lethal than he is now yeah this was fun i'm definitely interested to hear uh what you guys our listeners think feel feel free to tweet us with some of your suggestions of guys who would be better uh in a previous era or same thing uh old players who would be better today i think it's uh when you're looking at all of history obviously it's tough to uh come up with all these i'm sure we missed somebody (laughs) yes yeah we should change the name of the podcast to that actually i'm sure we missed somebody (laughs) um all right this is fun anything uh you wrote about for the athletic this week that people should yeah so uh yeah this last week i took my i wrote my uh five uh hot takes on the draft where i looked at uh some players uh where where i had them rated differently than i think the consensus and so sort of spit into the wind a little and and uh and went in on those guys and then uh coming this week uh for wizards fans i have a back and forth with our fred cats that'll be uh launching this week looking at the state of the wizards and where they go from here all right thanks so much uh, for listening we'll be back in our usual time slot next sunday night we'll talk to you all then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.